Hello, church. My name is Jane, and we will now be reading today's passage in the scriptures from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. Please follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, so to speak, so to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is the reading of God's word. We're in the middle of a series that we started entitled uh, The Christian Life, which is just surveying, well, what does a Christian life at its core uh, look like? So on the, the first of this sermon series was uh, the idea of community, uh, church, what that actually looks like. Jay also last week preached on prayer. And today I wanted to, to tackle an idea, uh, not a discipline of sorts, not a, something that we do, but something that we should be changing into, uh, which is a receptive soul. What does that mean? Uh, one question I would ask you is uh, try and remember, and, I, and when I would say remember, try and place yourself in the emotional capacity you were at, the emotional feeling, the physical feeling, when was the last time you just lost all control and anger? Uh, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, whatever it may be. Just put yourself back in that situation, uh, as, hard, or as, as difficult as it may be. Right? When, when you go into that situation of when you lose, and you guys know what I'm talking about, when you just lose your anger, uh, there's this feeling, and it's physical even, this emotion of just rage flowing through your body that you've lost all control. Right, for me, uh, not, this is not the last time. There are several times, but the one that I can share without too much damage is in college. Uh, I was serving on a ministry on the worship team. And uh, every Thursday night, we would meet on campus, uh, and we would have to bring all this equipment from these houses, set up for a, a live band, and then clean up and then take it back to the houses. Now, usually it's a large band. It's a full band just like this, so people would be helping out. But I remember one Thursday, everyone was like, hey, Eugene, take all the stuff to the curb and we'll meet you there with all the cars. And I'm moving everything. And I get there and I wait 10, 20, 25 minutes. No one shows up. And I read through all the texts. This is before Instagram or anything, but I read through all the texts. Everyone's already eating at the restaurant they're supposed to go to. All the PC members have left me. And I was, I, I was pissed, dog. I was pissed. And I had this small Honda Accord, and every equipment that I put in, like, oh, this drummer sucks anyways. Like, what am I doing here, right? And I remember I have all this stuff packed in my Honda Accord, and I'm driving to the restaurant pissed off, about to lose it. And I, and I remember I turn in, and as I'm turning in, everyone's leaving, including the praise team members, all full. Like, oh, that was so good. I was pissed. We're driving back to the house to unload everything. Oh, hey, Eugene, thanks. We'll, we'll meet you there to help you. And I'm driving. And one of my friends thought it was funny. He was on the praise team to, like, cut me off as a joke. And he cut me off, and he was just like, oh, ha, ha, ha. I could, I could hear him from my car, right, just mentally. And I got so I was just swearing, cussing everything in my car. And I remember I got to the house, and I'm unloading everything. I'm just throwing things on the ground. And my, my friend who was playing acoustic, I got into his room. And I just threw his acoustic on the ground. Hell, sorry, really expensive guitar, right? Throw on the ground. I was like, you suck a guitar anyways, man. I just walk out. I, why do I share that? Well, it's, it's, it's like therapy for me, so I hope you took that well. But what was happening in that moment, and you can relate to these type of moments. These happen all the time. What happened was I allowed an event, a circumstance, a trigger 
to start changing me rather than bringing a transformed self into that situation. I no longer saw a friend. I no longer saw even a human being. In front of me was just someone, an object to unleash my anger, to unleash my rage. When you're angry and you lose control, you allow the circumstances around you to change you rather than bring a transformed self into that situation. What James is getting at here is the core. It's the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is not mere holy information. It's not to ascertain theological truths, which is important. That's something that we teach here at True North and we will continue to do so. But the goal of the Christian life is to allow all these things to ultimately lead the transformation of the soul. To ultimately lead you to a place to become a human being where you are no longer controlled by the events around you, but that you bring a peace, a life, a righteousness wherever you go. See, the greatest indicator and also pathway to transformation is how well we're connected to other souls. The Christian life is this. Jesus is more concerned with your relationships than your net worth. Jesus is more concerned with how you treat your Starbucks barista when you're rushed and you're late and they're annoying and they're slow more than your presentation you're about to give at your job. Jesus cares more how you deal with your kid giving you a tantrum than the real estate you've been looking up on Zillow. We're in the business of making souls. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's to form our souls to look like Jesus. And what James confronts us with this is a question with this verse. If you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard these verses. The question James confronts us with is this. For all of us here, whether you believe in Jesus or not, is your soul receptive or reactive? Are you a receptive person or are you a reactive person? Where am I getting at with that? James says, be quick. To hear, so receive things quickly. If people praise you, receive that. <clears throat> if people curse you, receive that. If your kid hugs you, receive that. If your kid is throwing a tantrum, receive that. And yet, what do you do in return? James says this <clears throat> be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James imparts a very simple, simple command. Be quick to receive, be receptive, be slow to be reactive. See, but often what we do is we live in reactivity to those around us. We live in reactivity to relational energy around us. We often do the opposite of what James says. We're quick to hear. That's just part of being a human being. But we're also quick to speak and quick to anger. How do we often react? And this is the thing. When I say a reactive soul, I don't mean just those who lose their temper. This isn't just for people who have, you know, oh, they have anger issues. It's not just that. It's everyone. Because all of us are reactive in different ways. What I mean by that is this. When James says, hey, be quick to hear, but slow to speak, slow to anger, he's juxtaposing. Some of you, when you hear blessings, when, when someone's good to you, you just speak well to kind of blend in. You're like, oh, you know what? If you're nice to me, then I'm going to be nice to you. And yet some of you, if you receive bad energy, if you receive negative relational energy, if someone is wronging you or someone's angry at you, what you put back often is anger. It's either or. And we often are going back and forth all the time. To put a good mental image of this is uh, if, you've, you know, if you live in the Bay Area, most of us probably have driven from the Bay Area to L.A. or from Northern California to Southern California. And there's a point on the five where it just becomes Mad Max, where it's like, if you don't know, the five is just two lanes, and it's 
it's so annoying because there's trucks that often like slow down traffic and it's just whoever can get in can, can get there faster. And, and it's just often people cutting each other off, people flipping each other off. And for me, I'm a very reactive driver. Like if you're nice, if you just signal, like I'll let you in, man. If, and if you put up a hand, I'll be like, oh, hey, no worries, brother. No worries, sister in Christ, right? I got you. But if you, if you tailgate me, oh, I'm going to react like negatively. When people tailgate me on the five, it's the most annoying thing. Because I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I'm in a minivan. I got two kids and a wife. They're yelling at me and now you're on my back. But you know what I do? I slow down to a crawl, like to 50 miles per hour. And they get so pissed off, they, they go into right lane to overtake me. I just zoom in. I just do that for 30 minutes, back and forth, right? And I ask the teacher service, like, do you guys do this? And I'm like, no, it's just you. It's like, okay, that, maybe that's me. But that's often a mental picture for our relationships. We're reactive. We only give out the energy given in. Jesus is, is very different in how he receives relational energy in very unique ways. One thing that always struck me was Jesus was always weary of crowds. And as someone, you know, as, as someone pastoring in public ministry, you'd often think, oh, a large crowd is something to be grateful for because more people can hear a message. And yet Jesus is very, very weary of crowds. And also on top of that, there's a lot of instances in the Gospels where Jesus says, do not be amazed. Do not be amazed. And I always like, wow, that's such a random observation. Every Gospel has an instance, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus says to a crowd, hey, I'm doing this, do not be amazed. And I'm like, what? why wouldn't they be amazed? Like you're, you're doing crazy healings and miracles. How do you expect people not to be amazed? What is Jesus getting at? Ronald Rollheiser, who, who is a Catholic theologian, put it really well for myself. He puts it this way. What is amazement? We are amazed in the biblical sense when we simply let energy flow through us as a wire and electrical, electrical current. When we simply take in the energy of the group around us or the energy that spontaneously arises within us without holding, carrying, or transforming it in any way, act on it and let it flow through us. That's good at rock concerts and football games, but it's also the root of selfishness, bigotry, short-sightedness, groupthink, mob mentality, gang rapes, and crucifixion. Ultimately, it's the opposite of compassion. What Rollheiser is getting at is a reactive soul, simply like an electrical wire, takes energy in and puts out the same energy given back. If you are nice, I will be nice to you. If my kids hug me when I come back from, you know, if I pick them up from daycare, it's like, you know what, guys, we're going to get ice cream. If they're crying, I'm like, hey, no iPad today, right? I always react. We all do this. We're simply often a wire just transmitting the same energy given to us back right to the people around us in good and bad ways. But what Jesus and James is asking of us, the goal of the Christian life is to reverse that. It's to not be reactive, but to be what I would call receptive. To transform and to work and to form your soul to be receptive. James calls us to not simply react to the emotional stimuli around us. Rather, what he says is, produce the righteousness of God around you no matter the situation. Read again closely verse 19 to 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So, hey... Don't, don't just react. 
take stuff in and, and think about it, process it. And what should you put out in return? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The goal of the Christian life is not to become a Bible memorizer of facts. It's not to have an impressive prayer life. It's not to come to church every week and not miss a single Sunday. The goal is to allow your prayers to God, your communion with the people here, you pouring your soul into the word of God so that you can produce wherever you go the righteousness of God. And what that also means is you, you are called to produce life to those around you, not to just react to those around you. We're called to be receptive. Ronald Rollheiser continues with his thought of this. He writes this, resist having energy simply flow through you and instead hold it, carry it, and transform it so as to not give it back in kind. When I'm amazed as opposed to pondering, I give back in kind. If someone comes up to me and says, I like you, my spontaneous response will be, well, I like you too. Conversely, if someone comes up to me and says, I hate you, my response will also be in kind, and I hate you too. When I react in this way, I simply let energy flow through me like a conduit. This is what Jesus calls the virtue of the scribes and the Pharisees. What virtue is there in loving those who love you? Can you love those who hate you? Virtue requires a transformation of energy, of relational energy. What James is calling us to do, the goal of the Christian life, is to hold the tension of the energy we all receive. You guys know what I'm talking about. If you're, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. If you have kids, you really know what I'm talking about. As you move on through life, often the relational energies, the, the, the number of relationships uh, go down, but the intensity of the energies increase. And, and with the intensity of any energy comes the good and the bad. And the goal of the Christian life with Jesus is not, look, you are saved not out of your own doing, but the grace of God. So then the goal of the Christian life is not just simply say, well, we're good, but to take that salvation and apply it to those around us. When energy is given to you, do you empathize? Do you contemplate? Do you ponder? To put it another way, if you've been in the church long enough, you'll understand this. The flesh, your sinful side, it is quick, it is fast, it is reactive. The spirit inside of you is slow. It contemplates, it processes, it ponders. It does not simply react to anger. It does not simply react to praise. It takes everything in and is slow and contemplative. Well, what does this energy mean for me? Why is this person giving me this energy? And how do we, how do we what does this look like practically? Well, Jesus is the perfect human picture of a receptive soul looks like. Again, I mentioned he, he's very averse to crowds. Why is that? He's protecting himself from the amazement, from, the, from just the fake positive energy we all get, right? Because this is the thing, the same crowds that praised Jesus in Jerusalem said, you are the king, you are the savior of Israel, are the same crowds that crucify him at the crucifixion, that call for his head to Pontius Pilate. Jesus shows us, receptive soul doesn't just mean like, hey, to those who are negative to you, process that, but also to those that just give you praise, are you processing that? 
Like, are, are you allowing that to shape who you are? Or do you hold fast to the convictions of who you believe Jesus to be? On the flip side, his gentleness with those who react negatively. There are so many in Jesus' life, his disciples, who betray him, abandon him, plot to kill him. And yet, how does Jesus respond? He does not react to them. He receives them in kind. He receives them with an intense curiosity. The woman at the well, Jesus could have reacted. If you don't know the story of the woman in the well, in midday there's a woman by the well, and by Jewish custom, she should not be there. Her community has always reacted against her, this dirty woman. She's married too many people. She's, she's a whore. She's a prostitute. She has too many husbands. They're reacting to her. But yet what does Jesus do? He is a man who knows all Jewish customs. He does not react. He receives her with an intense curiosity. Why are you here by yourself? Jesus and the bleeding woman. The story always touches me. Jesus on the way to heal a, a dead kid. And a bleeding woman touches Jesus to get healed. She basically has a, a cycle that does not end. She touches him, and yet Jesus does not react out of like, oh, why, why is this lady touching me? She, he receives her with this intense curiosity. Why did you touch me? Zacchaeus hiding in the tree. Jesus, even him, there's intense curiosity. Why are you hiding? Even to his disciples, he does not react to them. He's receptive, very receptive. Think about this. Judas. He knew from the beginning of the creation of his disciples, he knew Judas would deceive him and betray him. Like, okay, if in your friend group, if I told you there is a snake, or, you know, sorry, if there's someone that's going to betray you, right, there's a snake in the grass. And I told you, hey, this, you don't know it yet, but this person's been gossiping about you. He's going to backstab you. He's, she's going to backstab you. What would you do? Well, honestly, what would you do? What would I do? I would cut you off so quickly. What does Jesus do? Why does Jesus keep Judas close to him? Because although Jesus knew, he knew that Judas would betray him. He said, I will still receive you with the hope. Although I know, I will receive you with the hope that you can change, even though he knew he did not. Jesus is the ultimate picture of a receptive soul. And let me be very clear. This doesn't mean to allow people to walk all over you. It doesn't mean to people to, to, to control you. Jesus does not do that either. But he's always slow to receive the relational energy, good or bad, and to process it, to contemplate it, to transform it into life to those around us. How much of our relational lives would look different if we are more receptive rather than reactive to our children? And I'll be honest, as a parent, you know this, especially with kids my age that are four and three, it's so hard not to react if they spill something, if they're yelling if they're just not cooperating in the mornings. But what would be such a difference in their lives as they grow up if I show them the model of a receptive father than a reactive father? With your friends, with your spouses, with your coworkers, what would it look like if you are more receptive than reactive? It's gonna be hard in the beginning, but I promise you, you will produce a life that gives life to those around you. And let me, let me make a, a quick kind of detour. This is crucially important. This isn't just like feel good stuff. Oh, this is, this is good. You know, this is like a good tech talk. I want to do that. This isn't just to be a better person. Your soul is on the line. What do I mean by that? Again, what does James say? He says, hey, be receptive. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. 
to, to, to give you what James is saying in the grammar, he's saying almost, he's saying like there's these clothes of this filth, of this wickedness that get put on you when you are quick to react and not to be receptive. What is James getting at? When you're not receptive but reactive, it's not just that you're being a better, it's not that you're not being a better person, but you're allowing yourself to be shaped by those around you. A reactive person, if you're only reacting to those around you, what you're allowing them to do is to take control of your soul. To put it really best, there's a great uh, thinker and philosopher by the name of Mike Tyson. Uh, you might have heard of him. Uh, he, he's probably the most feared boxer from before, uh, probably the greatest boxer after Muhammad Ali. And I don't usually do this, but there's a clip where he has, and I, and I want to show it to you. And I'm going to give you some context. Uh, Mike Tyson has been taken advantage of his whole life by promoters, by those who want money from him, by him putting his body on the line. And, and he's changed tremendously after he's retired. And he hosts a podcast, and in this podcast, which is a clip I'm about to show you, he's talking to a young football star by the name of Saquon Barkley. He's running back, right? And he, it's just, he just talks to people, and he said something very profound uh, that, that has helped me to realize what it means to be receptive. So if you follow on the screen behind me, it'll show right there. It's one of the things that I've, one of the many things I've learned from Mike is how, you know, there have been people in his past that have taken mm -hmm. advantage of him, and... He doesn't hold a grudge. Lives in forgiveness. Ooh. I don't know about that. I mean, I'm not really Oh, like, yeah, listen. Yeah, I'm not it's, like. You're not ready, brother. I'm you, not like. You, you, you do me wrong. No. You cross the line, like, I cut ties, like. The devil wins. Quick. The devil wins. So you're saying the devil wins because someone did me wrong, and I cut ties with that person. I act like I never met that person. Yeah. So I got to be the bigger person. Because he changed you. Oh, Okay. So he's your master because he controls your emotions. He's not your enemy, he's your master. Because you're not who you used to be now. He stole that away from you. Mm. Well, you allowed him to. He can't do it if you don't allow him to. That's hard though, man, that's... Once you learn, yeah, you think you're great now, watch how great you're gonna be when you learn compassion and empathy. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, when I was you, I wanted to be a savage. I was a savage, there's no doubt about it. I want everybody to be afraid of me. Now I want everybody to love me. <laughs> Ain't that a trip? Mm -hmm. you, let, you know, you're not going to be 22 for long. Life go back a flick of an eye. You know, you might be a minister. You never know, you know. Life, life changes us. We're born, and then something happens. And then meet God. Life is just a flicker. Okay. Uh, well, one, you know, thank God he believes in forgiveness because he, he could kill anyone who's wronged him. Uh, he, he, he was probably the most feared boxer of his time. And yet what he said was so profound. Think about his whole life. His whole, li his whole career has been built on how reactive he can be. He's taken punches. He's bit off someone's ear out of reaction. And yet someone that's went through, the, through this ring of being reactive constantly inside of life, literally life and death often, fighting, he's come to the conclusion when you live that way, not inside the ring but in real life, it just, the devil wins. You allow those around you, if you are reactive, to control who you are, to control your destiny, and in turn, your soul, as you react to wickedness 
and anger becomes wicked and filthy itself. When you don't forgive, it's like drinking rat poison and hoping that your enemy dies. Only a receptive soul can forgive. And forgiveness is not just something that you should do. It's crucial to the health of your soul. To be reactive is to simply say, my life is destined for pain, filthiness, and wretchedness. We don't, what, we, what we don't transform, what we don't do the work with in transforming our pain and trauma, we will transmit onto others around us. This is the goal of the Christian life. And this is the thing. Today, the problem is we can be reactive to so many things more than James's time. Like, I, I talk about this a lot, but on your phone, when you, open on, when you open up Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat or whatever your app is to your pleasure, it's an invitation to simply react. Maybe even physically to press a button and react. But as you're watching stories of people in Mexico, in Cabo, enjoying their life, as you're watching people, wait, why is that person with them and I'm not invited? As you're watching people dress nicely and post that. I'm not saying those things are bad, but as you watch that, you react. And as you react to the masses, to the crowds around you, it changes you. There's a term that people often use, audience capture. Your soul becomes shaped by the audience you allow it to react to. One of the last quotes that is helpful to this idea is uh, there's a blogger by the name of Gerwinder that uh, Pastor Jay uh, sent me an article or it's the whole idea of audience capture, he writes this, the desire for recognition in an increasingly isolated world leers us to be, with, to be who strangers wish us to be. There is ease and comfort in crowdsourcing your identity, but amid such temptations, it's worth remembering that when you become who your audience expects at the expense of who you are, the affection you receive is not intended for you, but for the character you're playing, a character you're eventually tired of. And so be warned, if you chase the approval of others, you may in the end lose the approval of yourself. When you're reactive to those around you, to your social media apps, to LinkedIn, to whatever it may be, and not taking the time to be receptive, to process, to contemplate, and to transform the energy around you, you will lose yourself to filthiness and to wickedness. At the end, James says, you know, and we'll get into this, if you do this, Oppositely, you will save your soul. And what he's saying, and this is the thing, he's not saying that you lose your salvation. But what James is saying is the goal of the Christian life is to transform your soul, not just to become a better person, but not to lose your soul to the wickedness around us. We're called to be receptive people. That is the goal of the Christian life. So therefore, lastly, how can we make this a practical and spiritual reality in our lives? It's a simple, simple, simple command that's not gonna change or it's, sorry, it's not gonna be a, a new idea, but something that we never do well. James ends the passages by saying this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Do not allow your reactive soul to become wicked. And therefore, in turn, in, in contrast, if you wanna be receptive, if you wanna be slow to speak in anger, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness the implanted word. What is he saying by the word? He could be meaning scripture because the, the Greek is logos. It, it, it probably does mean scripture. But ultimately, what James is saying is you have to receive and not react to Christ. 
Christ is the word, as John tells us. And what James is saying is the key to become receptive is this, to those who do believe in Jesus, but even those who do not. I would, I would often say this. So often we come and hear the story of Jesus and we're not receiving him, we're just reacting to him. Like Ronald Rollheiser said often, we're like an electrical wire. We just take energy in and put it right out. And so often for many of us, especially those who have been raised in the church, it becomes hard to realize this, but you often are just reacting to Jesus. He's not transforming who you are. But what James says is if you want to be receptive to those around you, you have to allow Jesus to change you first. The goal of the Christian life is not to gain more information. It's the transformation of your soul. Have you allowed Jesus to do that? Because when you look to Jesus, what is he? He is not a reactive savior. He's a receptive savior. He is someone who could have easily reacted to any of us and said, hey, you rebelled against me. You left me. I'm good. I'm good, Eugene. I'm good, Jane. I'm good, John. Whoever you are. God could have easily done that in his own sovereign will, and yet he does not. He does not react to you, to any of you, to all of us. He receives us with everything we have, our brokenness and our rebellion. He takes in the energy that we give him, which is death, and he gives out, contemplates, transforms it, and gives it back to us in life. Think about the cross and the crucifixion. What is the energy being given to Jesus? What are the Roman guards doing? What are the crowds doing? What are the, what's the energy being given to Jesus in that moment? Death, hatred, anger, rage. What does Jesus do on the cross? He does not react. He could have. He could have easily been on the cross and been like, yo, I am out. Y'all are too much to deal with. He does not do that. Jesus takes in that energy and transforms it and gives it life. That's what the resurrection is. The resurrection and the crucifixion is a picture of how we're called to live our everyday life. You will be given death by those around you because we live in a broken world with broken people. But the resurrection shows us there is hope to give life to others. How do, how do you do this? It's not to simply react to Jesus like an electrical wire, but to allow that truth. Has it deeply affected your soul? This is the thing. Uh, I'm not a foodie. So, like, for me, a lunch could be, I could be at McDonald's in the parking lot, and I'm just eating, like, six chicken McNuggets and a, a Coke Frosty, and I'm good. And when you're eating fast food, like, unless it's, like, for me, Popeye's, you don't eat it slowly. Right? You just eat it fast. Right? You're like, oh, this is, I'm, just, I'm just eating to live. But if you're at a nice steakhouse, if you're at Popeye's like myself, right, what do you do? And that chicken sandwich comes out and it smells delicious. What do you do? You take your time. Because you want to savor, yes, it's giving you life. It's giving you nutrition. But you also, you want to savor every single beautiful taste it gives you. And this is the thing, too. When, you, when you're at a nice steakhouse, it even amplifies even more. Right? When you're at a nice steakhouse, they always pair wine and steak. And I thought it was like a marketing ploy. But all my foodie friends is like, scientifically, when you eat steak and wine, it literally improves the taste of each other. It produces new tastes. So when you're eating a really good steak and you drink good wine, you do sip taste, sip, taste, it improves the meal exponentially. This is the thing. For many of us, you have been taught with Jesus to just wolf him down like fast food. And you know what? That's fine. He will save you. If I eat McDonald's, like, for a little bit, it gives me energy. Probably in 20 years, it'll kill me, but at that moment, right, it's giving me energy. 
You can do that with Jesus, that's fine. But don't you want like intimacy and the depth of what Jesus can give you? Have you taken your time with Jesus? Like meaning the truth that we all sing about. And if you've been at church long enough, you know this. But if you haven't, just the truth that I've just told you that Jesus has given his own life for you. Can you allow it to marinate in your soul, to enjoy it like a fine meal, to allow it to not just give you nutrients, but to taste the complexity and the beauty of each bite? Do we do that with the gospel? Are we reactive or receptive to that? This is the thing. James is not speaking to non-believers. He's speaking to Christians and the church. He's saying the key is there's nothing new. You got to go back to Jesus. And not just, oh, yeah, I get him, but are you allowing him to change every single moment of your life. And that sounds so cheesy, but with what I just said, you know there's truth to it. His story of his death and resurrection can apply to any one of your relationships in your life today. Because in so many of your relationships, you are being given death. Someone's backstabbed you. A manager has ignored you. Your, Your kids are literally sleeping you to death, whatever it may be, right? How do you react and give them life instead? So how do you do this practically? Two things I want to leave you with. The whole language James uses is an implanted word is gardening, right? So there's two things. I don't garden, but uh, I've read on Google, if you do garden, two things you really have to do. One, watch out for weeds. Weeds often, a good gardener will spot a weed quickly and take it out because a weed is a competing plant in that garden and it takes away life. It soaks and just absorbs all the nutrients more than the plant can even offer. It takes away light, it takes away water, it takes away soil. And so you have to, and everyone knows this about a weed. You can't just cut it, you have to uproot it. What does that mean for us? Old church father puts it this way. Be the doorkeeper of your heart and do not let any thought come in without questioning it. Question each thought individually. Are you on our side or the side of our foes? And if it is one of ours, it will fill you with tranquility. You are always given thoughts and thoughts you can react to, but the flesh is quick, the spirit is slow. Every thought that comes, you you know, even as I'm speaking, there's a thought. Like, oh man, a a picture of a person comes up. You're like, I can't forgive them. Examine that thought. Why is it you can't forgive them? Why is it you've been estranged to that person? And don't, as Mike Tyson says, a great philosopher, don't allow the devil to win because he's always coming after you. Watch out for weeds. But secondly, rinse and repeat. Uh, For a garden to, to produce a beautiful garden, there's no secret. It's just repeating the same things. Water, check the soil, give it light. Repeat, rinse. Just rinse and repeat over and over and over again. What does that mean for us? The rest of this series will be things that we can do. We've talked about community. We've talked about prayer. We'll talk about disciplines. We'll talk about giving. We'll talk about tithing. We'll talk about being together as a church. What are all those things? They're simple disciplines. Why do we do them? Because it's only in the repetition of these disciplines that we can learn to be receptive. Because we so easily forget. The reason often I read scripture is not to gain new information, although that can happen, but to remind myself I need to be a receptive soul because of what Jesus has given me. To close, the goal of the Christian life is not information, but transformation of the soul. Look, I hope at True North we can grow to be a receptive people on a receptive church, receptive, with receptive families, receptive marriages, receptive friendships, receptive coworkers, 
so that we can produce the righteousness of God no matter where we go. That we don't allow the circumstances to change us, but we change the people around us with the gospel that we have. Let's pray.